Hi guys, welcome to the podcast, Lifestyle and Mindfulness with Laura. The podcast is about all things lifestyle, all things mindfulness, and you can find us on our Instagram at lifestyle.mindfulnesswithlaura. We release a podcast weekly found on most podcast streaming services such as Spotify, Google, Apple, and many more. You can find the link to the podcast through the bio on our Instagram. So feel free to head on over there and check out all of our other episodes. This podcast supports equality, diversity and inclusion for all walks of life. Enjoy. So welcome everybody to the podcast today. Uh, We're doing things a little bit differently today. I've brought in my beloved friend, Brendy Ford. Brendy, say hi to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And we're flipping the script a bit. So Brendy's going to be interviewing me today. Um, I thought it would be a great way to, um, for me to express my message and who I am and also just for you guys to get to know me a little bit more and who am I and what, are, what do I stand for and um, what my values are, et cetera. And, and um, you might be able to resonate with some of those things too, which is, which is the aim here is to make us all feel uh, like we're all in this together, that we're less alone and um, we're helping each other through life. So take it away, Brendy. <laughs> uh, Laura, um, once again, I can't, and I know I said this onto the phone to you last week when we talked, but I can't thank you enough for um, giving me the honour of interviewing you for your own podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I very, love it. Very, uh, I'm very excited to be back because um, I mean the last time that I was on was one of your first episodes that you did or I was your first guest. You were the first episode. guest, yeah. The first uh, and now I've returned to interview. <laughs> I'm so excited and I just I'm hoping today we get to sort of talk about you know who is Laura, what is Laura about, what is the mystery behind Laura Green. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who the hell am I? <laughs> Even I'm wondering still. So. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> no, we just have an absolute hoot because I mean, like, yo, as as we said in um, or as we discussed in our previous episode together, you know, you and I met in 2013 when we did a musical together, and from yes. there we have had so many adventures. Um, <laughs> but I just, yeah, cannot wait to hear about everything before. Um, before we met and then also everything that you're going to um, do um, after 2020 as well. So my first question um, for you in regards to this specific podcast is Mm. why create a podcast? Yeah, um, it's a good question because I mean, I'm a listener of many podcasts and I was listening to one podcast. I won't, I don't have to mention names or anything like that. And it's not me putting them down in any sense, but the market of, um, the market Is it of my podcast. podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, the podcast market is completely <laughs> flooded. 
And someone mentioned it in their podcast to be like, the market's saturated. Now's not the best time to start a podcast. And I was just like, uh, okay. And I was like, no, it's, I shouldn't internalize that. I need to, uh, if, if you're drawn to do something intuitively, it, it means that there's something in it for you, whether um, usually on a personal growth or a spiritual level. So when I turn to want to do a podcast, it probably stems from the fact that I love people's stories and people's life stories. And that stems from me being a hairdresser for the last 12 years. I get to get to know my clients, get to understand where they've come from to who they are today and what they've learned along the way. And I understand like not all clients want to delve deep and, um, but I'm such, I'm so like that though. And I was like, this is the perfect opportunity to, get people on the show that I would love to pick their brains. It's a platform that I'm in charge of, whereas I make the rules. So over the years in hairdressing, you know, I've had many different people like bosses say, now don't talk about religion. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about relationships to your clients. And you're in their personal space and it immediately does let their guard down. People let their guard down, which is a beautiful thing. And to not give people that chance to really open up or be vulnerable in an objective sense, you know, to a stranger, like someone who's not involved in their life, sort of like a therapist, uh, you're stealing an opportunity from the client to really sort of drop into their true self. Um, And I used to get really sad and upset about that and frustrated because I don't tick that way either. I want to connect with people. Um, And interestingly enough, after starting the podcast, I've come to realize as well just how healing it's been for me to have a voice. You know, over the years, I felt as if my voice has been taken off me um, in certain ways. Like if you're too brutally honest or blunt about something, Uh, You learn the repercussions of how people can be offended by that. And it's usually people close to you. Um, Yeah. It's quite amazing, isn't it? It's almost quite cathartic. Oh, so cathartic. Yeah, for sure. But then you also realise, like, and then, you know, once you do these episodes and you're sort of like, oh, my God, like, it's it's not just about sort of, you know, you being like, great, I've got a voice, but then you also hear from other people being like, oh my God, I think that way too. And this is, you know, yeah. the feedback is wonderful. And it also just opens up all these other avenues for you as well, where it's like, yeah. oh my God, if we actually just start these conversations and these discussions, mm. we realise that we're not alone in this, um, in this specific atmosphere or this specific environment or even, you know, this specific discussion. It's like, oh, actually a lot yeah. of people actually too it's it's refreshing definitely and the thing that we forget and it seems so obvious when you say it out loud but we're all just human and we're all living this human existence and i think when it comes to industries and professions within the world and society and expectations all of all of the negative things are telling us not to be human like they're they're telling us to be robots um you know, forget your human side, which is an emotional part of ourselves. And thank God mental health is a huge thing these days with public awareness of that. 
it just gives uh -huh. us permission to not be perfect. It gives us permission yep. to have a shitty day and it's totally fine because you know what? You're human. And the last 10 years, we have seen such a shift when it comes to mental health and that discussion mm. um, and awareness and workplaces actually really putting the effort in. Um, and I mean, that all comes down to also the talk um, with you know, diversity and inclusion and realising yes. that everyone has mental health. No one is, is, is mm. immune to it. Everyone's got their mental health and everybody's got, um, you know, needs, needs to balance their, balance their wellness. Um, totally. And understand that, you know, I did a, I hosted a talk last week, Laura, about mental health for Mental Health um, Awareness Week. And we had a um, therapist from the Third Collective. She's actually the founder oh. and CEO of the Third Collective. And she said to us, um, you know, in one of my questions, she turned around, and she said, we all just actually need to remember, as you just said before, that, you know, we're not robots. We are humans. We're not supposed to be perfect. We're not supposed to be happy all the time yeah um you know it's okay to have bad days and it's okay to be a bit flat and it's okay to be you know great the next day and you know be up and down and just be yep. kind on yourself totally and it's okay to meet yourself where you are you know i've had days where i've gone into work and my mental health has been not great maybe for certain circumstances in my life and i have yep. taken the self-inquiry just from that walk from my car to the front door of my workplace, uh, what, what I sort of like an internal body scan, like energetically, how am I feeling? And if I notice that I'm really trying to push my energy up when my energy doesn't want to go there, it makes you feel more upset. And so I started to just meet my energy internally where it was that day. And all of a sudden, I just felt this pressure lift off me. Like, ah, oh, yeah. putting this pressure on myself to have to act, to be, to also just dress and appear a certain way. I mean, that's a whole other discussion with, you know, fe uh, feminism and makeup and hair. And I've been in the hair industry for 12 years, so I, don't, I do have a lot to say yeah. about that. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of hair and, and fashion, I mean, I always sort of, I look at um, my fashion is also a way of how my creative um sense when it comes to my fashion sense yes. is a way of me being able to self-express so i have yes. a buoyant camp vintage yeah. um, style when it comes to my fashion and this is what leads me into my next question for you um what does creativity mean to you as a whole yeah um i think you pretty much said it was just self-expression like creativity Creativity is the manifestation of self-expression. Like you create something to want to express something. And yeah, it frustrates me in a time of 2020 and COVID how, at least in Australia, and we've seen it worldwide, just how the arts yeah. industry is completely ignored to be funded and government subsidised for people who are out of a job um, because they're simply in a creative field. Um, I think people... I think, uh, yeah, I get really passionate and frustrated because, you know, our brain has got the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. One side is more logic yep. and analytical. The other side is more creative and uh, expressive and emotional. And why are we favouring one half of our brain in society when it comes to 
you know, money, um, the way, you know, we had the industrial revolution, but time has moved on. Time is different now. You know, we have gay marriage equality, <laughs> which is a huge sign of just time is different. People <laughs> catch up. And but I think it comes down to society's expectations, isn't it? Like we're, we are well, conditioned, like as, you know, when we were growing up, we were conditioned that the Australian dream is to study hard at school, go to university, get that certificate, buy a, buy a house, yeah. have a mortgage. And it's like, well, no, actually. And then die. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, no, actually, I, I could actually just rent a property for the rest of my life and be quite happy. I don't actually have to buy. Totally. And in terms of the arts industry and COVID and stuff, like, look what we've all turned to, to get us through. We've turned to the joys of the arts. We've turned to Netflix. What is that? That's the arts. Like, we've turned to YouTube. What's that? That's creativity. There's so much artistic expression on YouTube. Online Um, dance classes, online um, painting classes, singing lessons, like everything's the creative avenue. Um, Even cooking. Cooking classes online. Um, you know, hospitality has also been another industry completely ignored. With DJ online. Um, yeah, so much. The weekends. Like, can you imagine what it would have been like if, if we didn't have Netflix or technology? Oh, uh, you know. Telephones, no telephones. Like, we like, are in the best situation for a pandemic yeah. to break out. Like, I don't, I don't really want to lead into the pandemic, to be quite honest, because that's a whole different topic for you and I. But <laughs> speaking, how do you balance? I'm just going to jump straight into this one. You know, there's the five pillars of wellness. So you've got um, social wellness, spiritual wellness, physical wellness, mental wellness, and emotional wellness. How do you, Laura Green, <laughs> balance your pillars of wellness? In terms of physical, it's just, uh, apart from exercise and you can do things like yoga and getting outside, like I think they're the most obvious ones. But the Mm. things that we need to remember are the basic needs. So making sure that you're getting your green vegetables on a daily basis, noticing what you're consuming, um, knowing that it's okay to indulge, but just remember to pull, pull back when you need to balance that out. If you're noticing your mental health declining, it could be you're drinking too much alcohol on a regular basis, that you're just not eating regular. Um, mm-hmm. You know, getting your sleep. The biggest thing I've struggled with is just a consistent body clock. Um, oh, and sleep is so important during this time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm getting plenty of sleep. The hours I'm hitting, it's actually the time of the day that I'm choosing to go to bed and get up. That's the inconsistency is there for me. Um, Yeah. yeah. So working on those sorts of things, even just setting alarms on your phone to help remind you, uh, because I don't, I'm in a position where I have no schedule at the moment. So it can be a little tricky to, get yourself out of bed for the sake of just getting out of bed rather than, Oh, I've got to get out of bed and do this thing. Um, Goals. Like, yeah. So routine is always really, really important, right? Yes. Yes. Routine for sure. 
In terms of social, I gave myself the rule that I have to call someone over the phone at least once a day. Love it. Since we can do social distance walks, I've just, I've been increasing seeing people in person, which has been a game changer. Oh, and even Laura, like picnics just with another, like another household is really, really wonderful. You can do that. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's something that's only just started um, for us. So yes, I should definitely get onto that. And then in terms of mental health, I think my spirituality and mental health do come together. So journaling is a huge one for myself. Um, Self-inquiry, but rather than just having your thoughts bouncing around in your brain is to write them down. I heard someone explained an analogy for this is, you know, you can have like a set of headphones and they're tangled up and you've got to unravel, unravel them. Um, the, iPhone, the iPhone earphones. Oh, yes. Nightmare. Always a nightmare. But <laughs> oh God, thoughts... are, like I will wrap up in my bag neatly <laughs> and then five minutes later go to grab them. I'm like, how? How has this happened? Exactly. Even, they don't have a heartbeat. How are they tangled? Oh, the worst. Brings back memories of high school. <laughs> Totally, but your thoughts can be like the wire all tangled up in your mind and then putting pen to paper and unravelling that wire is you unravelling your thoughts and putting them down and you can just breathe easier and relax a bit more. So definitely that one for mental health and spiritual health. Um, Meditation is another thing that I love to do to connect spiritually Um, and gratitude. Gratitude is the biggest thing. For you to pull yourself out of a mental rut, it's the best thing you can do. Even if you can just find one or two things in your environment that you're grateful for, it does just bring you back to the reality of where you're at, but in a positive way. Yeah. So that was social, physical, spiritual, mental. Now emotional, though. Emotional. Um, emotional. Oh, this is a good one. Okay. So how do I deal with my emotional health on a personal level? Uh, I think it comes down to knowing when to pivot in the moment. So you could be doing anything in your day and you're starting to feel like you're beginning to decline emotionally. It's making those small choices in the moment to turn that thought around. So if you're starting to downward spiral, it's the matter of trying to like catch yourself and being like, okay, what am I doing right now? Oh, I'm ruminating on this thing. You know, maybe I need that physical contact or like that um, verbal contact with a friend and just learning how to pivot, I think is really important and to not be too hard on yourself because I'm very hard on myself. That's something that I've sort of learned is that like we are sometimes we as yourself are your own worst critic and you actually need to sort of sit back and think you know what I'm going to take the pressure off myself and just start to love me for me and be kind on myself because if we're not kind on ourselves you've got to be kind on yourself first before others are going to be kind on you if that makes sense and you know that notion as well also helps you recognize boundaries because when you're kind to yourself first, do you recognize it instantly when others aren't respecting your boundaries or aren't respecting you? How did, um, 
how did your creative journey begin? My creative journey. Um, let's go back to the very beginning. <laughs> very good place to start, Laura. Well, I came out of the womb dancing. <laughs> Wait, what was that, Brandy? As it just, just you know, while we're making uh, clothing out of curtains, let's talk about your past. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I think we're all creative. I think we're all born creative. I think all children are creative. I think if you are now an adult listening to this and you feel like, oh, I don't feel like I'm very creative, it's not that you're not creative and that you don't have it inside of you. It's learning how to recognise it inside of you. Like some people are more outwardly creative than others, but I think we're all born creative because if you look at children, no one comes out of the womb an accountant wearing a suit and, and you know, they drink whiskey on the weekends and they're at a desk all the time. Like, no. <laughs> you know, they might get down and dirty and, like, um, if it's a boy, stereotypically could be into, like, rough and tumble and, like, sports and, like, dirt bikes and stuff. But creativity, you know, um, carpenters, they're bloody creative. Like, yes. You know, they're using their hands to create something. So creativity comes in many forms. It's just learning how to recognize it within yourself and stepping away from the stigma of like creativity is meant to be painting or it's meant to be singing and whatever. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I always danced as a kid. Um, I loved painting in kindergarten. And, you know, I was put into dance classes very young at the age of three because I couldn't, I love dancing around the living room to my dad's music, little kids, we we'll, and all of us as adults, we have this essence within us. And it's, I think mine was recognized because it was very out there in terms of my dancing. So yeah, put into dance classes at a young age and I danced all the way through to the age of 18. And just being like, I think, you know, um, through that time, you know, in school, I used to love distracting myself with my school diary and making it colourful. Like, yes, I should have been paying attention to the teacher in maths class, but I, <laughs> I was more interested in drawing little funny drawings of like Elphaba from, Wick, from Wicked, the musical, in my diary and wow. making my diary look like this sort of scrapbook. <laughs> Just the casual bubble letters all over the school diary, right? Oh, total. So much bubble letters, so much colourful <laughs> text stuff. <laughs> um, I, I always left school with just highlighter all over my arm and that was in year 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I was. I never did that. I never did the drawing on my skin. I just used to, I was, oh, I was no, funny I didn't about that. Skin, it just always ended up on me and my clothing. <laughs> I don't know how. I was just a grub. <laughs> well, you clearly weren't paying attention to your English teacher. <laughs> okay. Hey, tell me about your first musical that you were cast in. Oh, God. So that's where this whole journey really sparked and, and moved, moved on to. So school production, it was Calamity Jane, and I was cast as an ensemble member as a cowboy. So I had to, I had to resource some steel cap boots, I think, Dad had some old ones. They were so heavy. But they did make you walk a certain way when you wear them, um, which is perfect for walking like a cowboy. And 
I completely, back then in year eight, you know, and learning about drama and being on stage, I didn't know what pulling focus meant. So there was a scene where the couple romantically is singing a song on the top balcony of the set. And it's a bar scene and everyone's in slow motion down below. And I created this entire scenario in slow motion with a few characters around me. And we ended up, we always do this performance where we get the prime, the local primary school to come and it's like a preview. It's a chance for us to rehearse, but it's for the school and the kids just get to be entertained. <laughs> yeah. um, during this scene, you know, Kids are not interested in a love song. They find it very boring. And there I was downstage on stage left. And I, I had this whole scene that I was like a town drunk. So I had this glass bottle and all in slow motion, you know, I was drunk and we were laughing and being silly, all in slow motion. And, you know, at one point I mind that I was like throwing up. And I got one of the characters, I was like, you're going to pat me on the back while this is happening in slow motion. And I just thought it was for a sake of being entertaining. I didn't see it as a sense of pulling focus. But like I said, I didn't know what that meant back then. <laughs> Stage directing her own scene. Love yeah. It. And the kids were cracking up laughing. They were laughing so hard during this love, love scene, <laughs> love song. Uh, clearly it told the director what was going on downstage and I got in a lot of trouble and I, I didn't, I didn't know why. Um, I thought, well, aren't I doing my job? You know, we're on stage we want, we need to be entertaining. Also, by the way, it was just a school production. We weren't. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was my first experience with that sort of thing. Yeah. And um from there, I got into doing, I did Oklahoma with JMC, um, Junior Musical Theatre. Uh, JMC? Is that what it was called? It was, uh, it was the government-funded program for musical theatre students. You had to audition to get in. And yep. um, again, I was an ensemble member in a Western musical, except this time I was a female. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful. A West, another Western doll. Yeah, my two first musicals I ever did were Westerns. And that was a completely different experience in terms of organisation, professionalism, and I loved it. Um, yeah. I then discovered community musical theatre and did several auditions over the years and did about 10 years of that. So when I was 17, I did Cats with Mlock and I was Jelly Lauren. I I spoke about that with Jesse in another episode. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. That was amazing too. And it just, it just, yeah. <laughs> don't stop, Brendy, don't stop, keep going. <laughs> All I know from that song, I cannot stand that musical. <laughs> <laughs> I always say Cats is so good to be in. It's an amazing musical to do. It's not yeah. so much an amazing one to be a spectator of. Um, I've always struggled, sorry, just a quick side note, I know, um, just a side note from your current creative story, I've always struggled with opera musicals. Like Phantom always. of the Opera and Oh Lainers. my God, Phantom, um, Jesus Christ Superstar, oh, um, yeah. Vita, like I'm just like, oh, I need dialogue. I There's need dialogue. Aida as well. Aida, yep. Um, yeah. Oh God, 
kind of one. There's been a few. And They're so there dramatic, are, aren't they? <laughs> I just can't, like, I just can't get into, I know it's terrible, everyone's different, but I personally cannot get into the story because I just need a little bit of dialogue just to tell mm. me where it's going and then go back into a song. But I just need, yeah. need something. Yeah, I think they're almost an entirely different genre on their own. Pop, definitely. Yeah, opera musicals for sure. They're they definitely in their own category. What's been your favourite musical that you've done in the? God, um, I'm going to say sixteen years that you've been doing musicals. My favourite one. Oh my goodness. The top favourite one, and you don't have to say. <laughs> <laughs> What so when you say favorite, are we talking about like the storybook and the songs, or are we talking about the experience as well? Okay, we'll do two. So you've been cast in the shows. Um, so your favorite storybook and songs musical, and mm-hmm. then your favorite experience musical. Okay, storybook and songs. Ooh, I didn't have this one prepared. What have I done? Oh Let me list them off the top of my head. Hold on, here we go. So I did, I won't count the school productions because they're on, I don't, I don't resonate with those experiences that well. I, I've got to say when I did Oklahoma with, with the, um, uh, joining the chorus, that's what it was called, joining the chorus, the government funded one. Um, Oklahoma for me was an amazing experience um, because it was at Her Majesty's Theatre in Melbourne and that's a professional theatre. Yeah. Um, that blew my mind. And they have this wall at the back, which is all signed by previous um, shows and celebrities who have been on, the, been on the stage. And it was just, I was living the dream. Um, yeah, that's, incredible. Oh, it blew me away. And like, I was only, how old was I? I think I was only 16 or 15. So that was just amazing. It was so good. And, you know, the costume department was professional. Every department was professionally run. Um, That just blew me away. And then after that, I couldn't really, I struggled to do school productions again, just because it sounds so up myself, but I couldn't deal with the disorganization. I just think I'm such, it's just the way that I'm wired mentally. It's more, it's more of a neurological thing. It's not, personality trait it's more like I couldn't deal with how out of order things seemed and um so would you say that that's your favorite uh musical that you've got a musical experience musical experience I think it's a combination of things I was really really young and I it was it was super professional definitely because you know looking back your perception's always different in hindsight um yeah oh of course but yeah, going along with the timeline of how I was living things as they unfolded, that was a pivotal moment for sure. In yeah. terms of um, songbook, so I did Cats, Stun Oklahoma, I did Footloose. Footloose, Footloose is at the bottom of my list, let's just say that. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> your brain always remembers like the ones that weren't that great. <laughs> um, I did the producers with you. You did. Uh, what else have I done? I've done Chicago. Done 32nd Street. Uh, uh, 42nd Street. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I know what you mean. As a show experience, like as in, oh, songbook. Oh, man. See, this is why it's so hard. I think every single musical has its iconic dance routine in it. So as a show is a complete whole. I reckon Chicago as a songbook is so, so solid. I would love to do Chicago again. That's a good sign. 100%. And, like, I have such a weak spot for Fosse. So if people don't know, Bob Fosse is a famous choreographer and his style is very classic but quirky and i think that describes me in a nutshell <laughs> quirky oh yeah but i mean like all the fossey style numbers that i've seen you do are just incredible but then also like you do bring a fossey style to sort of any routine yeah i i can't explain it i suppose it's just it's part of who just i am natural. now just naturally yeah. comes to you right yeah you know uh, we all have our own um, flavor of expressing ourselves. That's a whole other conversation talking about choreography and your own expression of something. Absolutely. Yeah, like I always used to hate it when choreographers would be like, now we've given you the steps, now show us your personal flair. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> it's a body shape that you've given us, which is why it's called choreography. Uh, yeah. We, we can perform it with our own pizzazz but we can't change the step like I never understood what they meant that, and no one could articulate it to me which was it always even more frustrating it used to do my head in in auditions when they'd be like okay so these are your um 16 counts um and then you're gonna have another 16 counts of freestyle um have fun with that it's like oh, <laughs> seriously <laughs> you mean 16 <laughs> counts of awkwardness <laughs> counts of awkwardness and you'd have like you know I would always sort of have a hoot and whatever else with it and that's fine but then you had the people that weren't naturally comfortable with freestyling or weren't sort of you know natural dancers that are just like oh my god yes just give us movement like and it was yeah and I even used to sort of be like oh my god like freestyling honestly in an audition room like I'm already nervous this is just <sighs> fun Oh my totally. God. And um, I think it's a different part of the brain you've got to tap into because I did my full-time dance course and they taught us freestyling as well. And then my teacher also wanted me to feel the music born. It's like, what does that even mean? Can you articulate that a bit more for me? Like feel the music. It's like, just feel it. It's like, okay. Uh, if they had more knowledge on how like, spiritual knowledge of how to tune into your inside and inward world that would be a different perspective and be like show me that you're feeling the music well that's really vague like <laughs> well, yeah because I, I definitely find like my body moves far different to say what it did eight oh what, what it did was like 14 years ago when i was 18 100 mm-hmm. percent. but i think i'm more in tune with myself now than what i was back then so yeah. I hear music and I, I hear music differently as well. Yeah. And that comes with practice and time too. Yeah. Are you like that though? Or are you? Oh, definitely. What? Like, I mean, I danced from the age of three to 18 and that whole time I, I'm very much a copier. So, and, and wanting to be, comes back to feminism in a sense. Like I wanted to be the good girl. Like I was a good girl, which means you, you obey. 
And so when yeah. a teacher tells you to correct something posturally or do it more like this and they demonstrate, I would do it instantly. But little did people know back then it was coming from a place of people pleasing. Yep. I just, I wanted the validation and the recognition. So I would, I would, it's like a teacher would say jump and I'd say how high and I'd want to, you know, literally and metaphorically. Uh, <laughs> 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 but it was true. And ever since I left dance for 10 years formally to do hairdressing and it was just a change of pace, a maturity growing up, all that stuff. And now that I've returned to dance, I can return to dance now on a spiritual level. I can freestyle very easily. Yeah. Um, it is a, it. It's also a matter of feeling emotionally safe in your environment. Like I freestyle so differently in my private space when I, than I do if I know people are watching. Um, I'm absolutely the same. And I'm I really totally wish I could bring that vulnerability to the public. I'm working on it. It's part of my mission. Because, yeah. I mean, like, and that's the thing. Like, I look at you and I think, like, you are one person um, in my life that I look at and I think you have got creative aspects pretty much everywhere. So, I mean, you know, you're a dancer and you have been a dancer pretty much all your life. You're a musical theatre performer, boom, theatre, dance which is also your commercial dance musical theater dance your balletic um contemporary lyrical jazz you you tap like you cover all the different styles of dance it's not even just like one genre you cover all of it <laughs> and you've also got your musical theater which you know you've got your acting skills which you and i have both seen you on stage doing all of that mm. as well as your singing um and you're very um intuitive and a lot of your um stage presence and stage acting just comes naturally like you're a natural born performer um but then even off off the stage you've got your hairdressing which again is incredibly creative um in the sense that you are styling and sculpting hair to a specific person and you're the vision that you see is you know the vision that that person sees or that vision that that person describes to you boom, you deliver it. You've then also got all of your makeup artistry, which is just always on point. <laughs> your makeup is always, always 100% on point. It's oh, just thank you. <laughs> that is. Something else you, I'd love to um, play around with a bit more. Yeah. 100%. I've always thought that. But then you've also got all of your, um, your, uh, your, your, your yoga training, um that you're delving into so you've got all these different avenues that i just love that i just sort of think she is an incredibly um creative individual you are a creative thank you um yeah it's also it's understanding how your brain is wired as well you know i've had many yeah. different hairdressing jobs over the years and i think a part huge part of I it know. is i get bored <laughs> i get bored uh could be a little bit of ADHD brain. I'm not diagnosed, everyone. Calm down. But I have absolutely... <laughs> what have I always said about you? What? That you're a gypsy. I'm a gypsy. Yeah. He's a gypsy. I'm a, and, you know, know. He's a gypsy. People, some people from the outside might see some, like, a bit of instability, but I just see adventure, excitement, and exploration. 
So, oh, I just see the winds changing and you just being like, new adventure. You're like, <laughs> um, you're like the, the uh, woman out of Chocolat. <laughs> the winds change, she moves. But and gone are the days of picking one career and doing that for the rest of your life. Like that to me I've sounds the equivalent of buying a house, having kids settling down and, and then life is finished. And if that's your dream, do you, please. All well like, and good. Please Absolutely. do you. Um, but someone else's dream, the typical dream isn't someone else's dream and it's it's being okay exactly. with that. Um, Absolutely. Listen to the beat of your own said, drum. <laughs> I've always said I want to be able to look back on my life with no regrets and look at my life and think that was a life worth lived. Yes, 100%. And, and, and so far, I'm very happy with it. That's so good. I'm so pleased. And everyone should definitely take that on as a, oh, as a huge mantra. mantra. So my last question to you, Lady Laura Green, yeah. is... What is next creatively for Laura Green? <laughs> well, oh gosh. Um, so I went to university for the first time ever in my life two years ago. Um, yes. I never thought I would ever go to university, but I'm so glad I gave it my all, you know, stereotypically being a creative person. I've always not seen myself as academic, but I know I'm smart. I'm just smart in other ways. Um, yeah. And I was pursuing osteopathy and then that wasn't working out in terms of, I failed a unit, um, which isn't uncommon and people usually push through, but I was attending a different university where you do one unit at a time and they call it block mode. And basically if you fail a unit and it's a prerequisite, it pushes you back 12 months. So I can't study that same course again until June next year. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing in disguise. I thought, right, back to the drawing board. And I, I keep narrowing down exactly what it is I wanted to do. So osteopathy, you're essentially becoming a holistic doctor who treats the body with manual therapy. Um, but my why behind all of this is I love people. I love helping people. Um, I, I love physical touch and I also love, um, you know, connecting to others and empathy. I have a lot of empathy and I wanted to use these things. I also love body movement and I wanted to try and put all these things together in a profession. Osteo does tick that box, but there was something intuitively still pulling at me that it wasn't quite the right fit. Um, so with some more... This came to me yesterday, by the way, very intuitive of me, very spiritual of me. I had a nap and then I had an epiphany afterwards. <laughs> Always. Um, I kept coming back to body movement and dance. And there's this sort of therapy, which is called somatic dance therapy or, or somatic um, movement therapy. Somatic basically means what you feel in your body. There are other scientific aspects that can come into play, like uh, proprioception, uh, which is if you close your eyes, you can sense your balance in your body, and you can feel you can feel yourself inside your body. It sounds complicated, but we all have this. And trauma therapy. I'm a huge nerd when it comes to psychology, so I would wouldn't mind going back to university and doing a Bachelor of Arts psychology where I would be studying dance and psychology and 
yeah, doing somatic dance therapy, working with groups of people, whether it's workshops, festivals, and one-on-one. And it's a way that people can heal from trauma as well. And it's a way that people can uh, quantum leap in their mindset of what's blocking them, what's limiting them. And so they can live their best life. Um, I've always been inclined mentally in a life coaching way ever since I was really young. I can't explain it. It's just always been who I am. But creatively for me, bringing dance to the public in a sense of joy as well. So I mentioned to you, Brendy, yesterday, the idea that I know we don't want to talk about the pandemic much, but it is our reality. And in Melbourne with social distancing, I thought, what can I do? I'm completely drawn to just take a boombox down to St Kilda, put it on and freestyle in the middle of the public, just to give people something else to look at (laughs) and to be reminded that they can dance anywhere at a time of crisis come back to your body come back to your joy could be whitney houston higher love whack it on (laughs) (laughs) and just it's it's also um coming back to the intuitive in me and the and the um empathic person in me is just affecting the world around you with that energy so putting out that positive vibe and affecting people, whether it's just a smile on their face and if people want to come and join in, they can come and join in. And the part that I need to get over is where fear and creativity meet. I need to get over my fear and just go out there and put the music on and do it. That's the part that's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I mean, like, as soon as, like, yeah, once, once you know, life starts to resume again, and we can actually go out and attend classes and, and, and do all that jazz, 100%, a collective like that will hit the ground and hit the ground running. And people, I think this is where, you know, individuals have rediscovered hobbies or discovered new hobbies where it's sort of, you know, where they're thinking, oh, crap, actually, yeah, I am 100% going to go off and do that. And I'm going to go off and do that. And I'm actually going to have more of a work-life balance where I actually go off and enjoy myself and get a little bit creative and get my hands dirty or yeah. go and do a dance or go horse riding. Like, I think yeah. it's and in I discovering think- the value of it. Yes. And what you personally get out of it. Mm. You, don't have to be, you don't have to be an amazing dancer to go to a dance class and just have fun you mentally exactly. like, you finish that dance class like yeah all right you might have as i say to my my dancers when they come i was like i don't care if you fuck up if you yeah. fuck up just keep dancing you'll just That's fuck right. up for him, and then you pick up from count number five and then you just keep going do exactly. not walk off that floor you just keep going and have a hoot because at the end of the day, you know, they are the 25 people or, you know, the 30 people that have gotten up on a Saturday morning at 7am to come to an 8am Broadway class in Mm. Melbourne. Boom, you're smashing out a routine. And by nine o'clock, you don't need to do this routine again, but know that you smashed it out. And now it's time for a smoothie. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that like the metaphor of life? It's like work your ass off. If you stuff up, keep going, reward yourself afterwards. Like that's life. (laughs) Exactly right. Like who gives a fuck? Just keep dancing and having a hoot. The show must go on. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, thank you so, so much, Brendy, for coming on today. 
Um, this has been so much fun. There are so, I gosh, I'm a bottomless well of all the things, all the things that I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, I have had such a hoot interviewing you today. So thank you so much for just giving me the honour and privilege of delving into the world of Laura Green, getting <laughs> to know you, getting to know all about you and finding out the mystery that is Laura Green. Just hands, Laura Green. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that in your voice. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been it's been amazing, and um, it's been such a pleasure to see both of us evolve over the years. And um, you'll be back on here for sure. Oh my god! And we're just going to keep evolving because we're human. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can find more information on the podcast and other episodes on our Instagram at lifestyle.mindfulnesswithlaura. We publish podcasts weekly, so stay tuned for the next one. Have a beautiful day or evening and keep stepping into your authentic self. Mm